Well, good morning again. Thank you guys for gathering here this morning. Thank you for bringing the church into a YMCA gymnasium uh, and where you're like, hey, it was cold out, but it'll probably be warmer in here. That's never the case, all right? Uh, but I'm glad you're here nonetheless. If I've never had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Jamie. It is my great joy uh, to be one of the pastors here at, at Crosspoint. Love the opportunity to meet you after the, the service if you're somebody that's new uh, to Crosspoint. And this morning, uh, it's my joy as well to uh, preach and to wrap up this series um, called On Earth As It Is In Heaven. But in some ways, it, it's not really a wrap up because this is something we return to every January. This is the third year of doing this, but this is week four. It is the conclusion to this. And each week, as we prayed just a moment ago, we've been kind of zeroing in on this aspect of Jesus' prayers. The disciples came like, Lord, how do we even pray, right? Like maybe you've felt that before. And he's like, he kind of distills it down for them and just says, here's kind of a framework, a way to think through prayer and what to ask for and to how it involves worship and access to the Father. And then in this prayer, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we wanna seek, all right, as a church, even as we start out in this new year in 2020, what do we wanna continue to be about? It's that God's kingdom might come, that his will, not my will or your will or the, the will or the plans, the ideas we have for Crosspoint, but that the Lord's will would be done on earth. It isn't just a, a waiting around so we get to go to heaven someday, but rather the calling of the church is to, to see as much of heaven invade this space as possible so that this world, like your neighborhood, your workplace, the city God's put you in, your community, your family, your, your relational connections and network might reflect less and less of the things of earth and more and more the heavenly realm where God has things perfectly ordered and beautiful. It's a harmonious uh, picture. And so one of the things we'll talk about this more uh, in a few moments, but we've been looking then at this idea of justice and the Hebrew word for justice is this word mishpat, okay? And in it, uh, th this word means more than simply, um, hey, somebody did something wrong and they need to be punished by a court, though it can include that, all right? It's this bigger idea of like the full restoration of all things, setting everything right. And so this word shows up over 200 times throughout the Old Testament. So if you were to start in Genesis chapter one and start reading through, you would see this word justice and the idea of justice over and over and over again. Like it's a massive theme that you just can't get away from. Amos chapter five, verse 23 to 24 says this, take away from me the noise of your songs. This is the Lord speaking to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. Not that he's anti what we just did here a moment ago and singing songs, but he's communicating, hey, if you think I'm pleased by just a, a gathering where we come together and we sing a few songs and maybe we you know, have some pleasantries and we say, hey, how was your week and that sort of thing. And then we just move on. He's like, we have missed our calling as the people of God. So he says, but let justice, let mishpat roll down like waters in righteousness, like an ever flowing stream that we want the justice of God to cover the face of the earth, that it would just saturate everything and we get to participate in that. And so again, it's this idea of full restoration, setting things right. And with this as well, and we're gonna look at this in detail this morning, it's not an optional thing. We gotta get this into our heads, right? Like charity is optional. I can choose to do this thing or not, maybe to help this person out. Mishpat, this idea of justice, all right, is no, this person has a God-given right to the putting things right in their life. And so our calling as the church is to say, all right, this person, this group, all right, they have rights to justice. And so we better step in 
And how do we do that? Motivated and fueled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we've looked at different topics, this morning we're gonna conclude by looking at justice and the nations. God's heart for the nations, for his gospel to spread, that disciples might be made in all contexts, in all people groups, all languages, because the picture at the end, all right, is not this homogenous group, it is every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around the throne of God, worshiping King Jesus. So that's where the story's heading, all right? And so justice looks like, hey, how do we get in on that now? Like, what would it look like to be a church that's pursuing justice for the nations, not just our local context? Now, you gotta hold those in tension, all right? The Bible speaks of both. Like, you've been placed in a neighborhood, a city, a community, and yes and amen to that. And also, there's a call to pursue beyond just our local context, all right? And so we're gonna spend more time on that aspect of it, but it's not to say that one is better than the other, but there is a calling as we'll see here in a moment as we get into the text that this morning. And so I would encourage you to follow along, make use of cpwp.life and go to the second card there on your phone this morning. It says message notes, anything that's up on the screen will be there, the text that will be in. But let me read this quote to you. It's a quote I've always loved, been challenged by, by C.S. Lewis as he's talking about this idea of like, what is it that we're to be about as a church? When we think about our call to the nations, what it is is a call, the right ordering looks like this. Here's how Jesus is gonna summarize it in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. The idea of a disciple, we're gonna unpack that more, but look what Lewis says about just our focus, what it should be, we're invited to as a church. He says this, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ or Christ-like. If they are not doing that, then all the cathedrals, or YMCA gyms, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose that, that Jesus has entered into this story. And his calling for us is to come and to follow him. That's what he called his original disciples to, this, this ragtag group He said, come follow me. All right, he's gonna transform their life, that we as a church are this community that's being transformed by Jesus. We get to follow him. And the following of, like following Jesus has to take us outside of ourselves. It has to push us. That's the reality. When you see what God has done for you in Jesus, what it does is it, it compels us to literally like get off the couch and actually like, Lord, what would you have for me? As we sang in the song just a moment ago, like everything, I, I'm like, I'm surrendering it all to you. What would it look like if we as a church surrendered? That we grew in our set apartness, our surrendering to God, that there wouldn't be things in 2020 that were like, yeah, God, that's mine. But we would say, Lord, I, I wanna trust you with my finances and I wanna trust you with my time and I wanna trust you with my energy and I wanna trust that this person that you've been calling me to minister to, like you know best and even though it's gonna be hard and difficult, I'm gonna trust that you're gonna do something in those spaces. And so this morning as we look at this, all right, I wanna invite you to turn to Matthew 28. Uh, there are Bibles on the back tables there. If you didn't bring one, you can turn, uh, you can grab one of those and turn to uh, page 926. Again, cpwp.life. You can make use of the message notes. The text is there. But this is what is oftentimes referred to as the Great Commission. This is, these are the final verses in the Gospel of Matthew. So it's been this, really this, this biography of the life of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection. And this is right before his ascension. He's given this final call to his disciples. But hear this, not just for the disciples back then, it's a call to you and me if you're a follower of Jesus 
These are words being spoken by Jesus himself over us this morning. So I wanna go ahead and read this and we'll, we'll kind of make our way back through this verse by verse. So Matthew 28, 16 to 20. As I read this, if you're able, would you go ahead and stand as I read God's word? It says this, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, so go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So a couple things as we get into this this morning. All right. I'm super encouraged by what we find here in these opening couple of verses. I want to call your attention to because I think it's important for us to, to see what Matthew chooses to include. Now, he's under the inspiration of the Spirit. God's Spirit is telling him what to write. But I love what is included here in verses 16 to 17. All right, as we get going, we can sometimes skip ahead and be like, all right, what's the calling? What is it? What's the mission? And we're going to look at that. But let's talk for a moment about the mess or the messiness. Let's talk about like the details that are given here. All right. And so I'll just call your attention to three things. The 11 Galilee in doubts. Did you hear that? Did you, as I read that a moment ago, it says they go to the mountain, right? Now the 11 disciples, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus at all, you've probably heard that there were 12 disciples, right? Well, we know from reading the story, all right, if you're familiar with this, that there was one that did what? There's one that betrayed Jesus. There was Judas, the one that was the traitor, the one that, that fell away, all right, that delivered Jesus over that he might be crucified. One of the things even in the Bible, maybe if you're new to the Bible and you're like, ah, I, I, maybe was this just put together, some of like, uh, this propaganda to try and get me to believe? One of the things you see over and over again is the Bible's not trying to hide anything. Like even including the details of 11, showcases for us, there's a frailty, there's a brokenness about humanity, right? That at this point in the story, though they are gonna add a disciple later on, it's, I think, God's way of communicating through his servant, Matthew, like, man, we're frail, we are broken. There's just 11, right? That Jesus, sometimes maybe if you're like, man, I wish I was a better leader, all right? And you look at this, like, Jesus even had one that abandoned him, the greatest leader the world has ever known, Right? Not everybody followed him perfectly, and even this 11, they're messed up. I mean, just prior to this, you had Peter himself who was denying Jesus. A little girl pops up on the scene. He's like, hey, he's, with, he's been with Jesus. He's like, I swear, and he just starts calling down curses and swearing that he doesn't know Jesus. Now, I find that encouraging, all right, because if we're gonna engage in this mission that the Lord has for us, taking the gospel to the nations, being about this work, I like the fact, I'm encouraged by the fact that God wants to use broken, messed up people. And yes, Jesus probably could have snapped his fingers and just made everything like the way that he wants it, but he's chosen for some reason, that some way, according to God's plan, God's gonna get more glory working through broken, messed up, frail, sinful, rebellious people like you and me, like these 11. And he tells them in this detail that we get, um, he says, the 11, they went to Galilee. And so Jerusalem, I mean, that was the epicenter of all religious activity. You would kind of think like, that's where this is gonna go. And Jesus basically says, hey, go, go meet me on this mountain in Galilee. And what we know about Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles. I mean, it's this, this way that the Lord is showcasing, hey, 
it started in Jerusalem. All right, and if you read the book of Acts, you're gonna see God's call uh, to be this spread out, this sent people that would start in Jerusalem and go out Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's another way of God showcasing for us. Listen, you're not just to stay with the people that look like you, act like you, have the same religious upbringing as you, like Galilee of the Gentiles. You're gonna go, and guess what? You're still going with all your brokenness and all of your issues and all of your anxiety and all of your stress and all of the things that confuse you, all right? And you're gonna go into places that are gonna be hard and they're gonna be difficult and there's gonna be people that might oppose what you're doing and it's just gonna be a mess. And what it's gonna teach you and what it's gonna teach me is a dependence upon the Lord because we can't do this in our own strength. And when they see the risen Jesus, again, I love the honesty of the Bible because this didn't have to be in here, right? Like if I'm trying to tell the story to persuade you that like Jesus rose from the dead and suddenly everybody's just like, they right away got on mission. It says, verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him. And worship is what fuels missions. We gotta see that. But did you notice what happens right after that? It says, well, some worshiped, all right? They saw him, they worshiped him, but some also doubted. The risen Jesus, right? Like you can see where his hands were pierced, his feet were pierced, right? The guy that they saw hung up on that cross and then three days later rose again and here he is, he's gathering them. He's gonna give this, some, some, this commission, right? This mission as a people and they're worshiping and I'm almost like, wow, how did you go from worship to doubting like just like that? But guess what? That's gonna be my day today. Like I'm gonna gather here and be encouraged. There's things that like worshiping God. And then there will be things that will creep into my mind that will be doubt. And maybe it's not doubting my salvation, although it can be just a doubting of the gospel. Is this enough? God, who, who am I in your sight? Doubting my identity that's been given. There's all these, these things and I love just the honesty of it. So we're gonna look here now at some of the more familiar verses. As we get into 18 to 20, we look at this mission, but just see this, be encouraged in this. Everything we're gonna talk about this morning and some exciting things I've been so pumped to get to this Sunday to share with you some plans for us as a church. But just know this, God loves to work through the broken, the foolish, why? Because it's not for us to get all puffed up and look at us, it's God showcasing over and over and over again. The story's always been about him, it's about him, it will be about him, it's about his glory. And he's chosen to get his glory by working through broken, jacked up people like you and me. And so if you've walked into the church this morning and you're feeling maybe this pressure, like I gotta measure up, I gotta do, just, just read the Bible and just know that everybody except for Jesus is completely messed up. Welcome, let's have some church. Like that's what it's communicating to us, all right? So 18 to 20, look back with me now. We get these words of Jesus and I want us to see this as a justice issue that there's this mishpat mission that we're given. And sometimes we can think of mission and justice simply in care for the poor and the marginalized and the, the fatherless, the orphan, the widow. Absolutely, yes and amen to all of that. We're gonna talk about that. But I also want you to see it in this way. If mishpat is about the right ordering of things, then the gospel going forth and people being put first and foremost into right relationship with their God is the ultimate mishpat issue. It's justice. I mean, so evangelism, mission, discipleship, and all of this is tied up in justice. And then flowing out of that, we respond as a people that we seek to bring like practical help to people. It's all included. These are not to be separated out. So look with me again at 18 to 20. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end 
of the age. So just a couple things as we get into this. As we tease this out of like, okay, what does this mean for you and me? If you're a follower of Jesus, what's the calling on your life right here, right now, okay? The first thing is this. Jesus shows up and he's like, all authority has been given to me. If the resurrected Jesus, if that's actually true, that he rose from the dead, like if he didn't, the apostle Paul would tell us, go read 1 Corinthians 15. Listen, man, like this is just a farce. Like just forget about it. Like go eat, drink, be merry, do whatever it is that you want. But if the resurrection is true, if it did happen, then Jesus has all authority. And that's what he's declaring here. And so in his final moments, before he's getting ready to ascend, he gathers a group of people with implications for us a couple thousand years later. And he said, I've got all authority. And if people wanted to, you know, if they're like, well, how do you have all authority? It's like, I was dead and I rose again. I'm the God man, all right? If you haven't figured that out by now, he's like, I rose, I have all authority. And if that's true, then there's nothing that Jesus can ask of you and me that we can be like, nah, not interested. Like if he rose from the dead, then we have to obey. And don't view that as drudgery. We get to obey. Like we get to go with Jesus as he promises to be with us. But it does start out with Jesus saying, listen, I'm making a claim on your life. And if you're like, well, it's my life, leave me alone. I'm doing me, right? He's like, no, 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 no. Like I created everything. I created you. I gave you your abilities. I gave you everything. I am God, I am sovereign, I am Lord. And you're only gonna find life not when you pursue this hyper radical individualism. It's when you actually bow to me then you're gonna actually find freedom and life and joy. And Jesus, I've got all authority and I know what is best. And he then tells him, hey, go and make disciples. And again, we gotta keep coming back to this. It is not go and make disciples, meaning go to a church, find some people, maybe you know, a core group of a few leaders or staff members, and that's their thing. And you can kind of cheer, cheer them on. No, no, no. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've submitted your life to him, whether you did that yesterday, all right, or whether you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, anywhere on that spectrum, the call is go and make disciples, every last one of us. And yep, you're gonna feel insecure. Yes, you're gonna feel like, I don't know what to do. And that is a perfect spot to be because it puts us in this spot of just this humble posture of like, I don't know, man. Like, this is hard, this is difficult, but... Literally what I have is I have a story to tell about how God's been working in my life. And think about it, worship and doubting. I think that's what your friends, neighbors, family members who don't believe, that's what they need to hear, right? I worship Jesus and I also got a lot of doubts and I've got a lot of insecurities. I got a lot of things that I'm wondering like, why didn't he resolve this the way that I wanted to? There's an honesty there. Please don't go sell people a version of Christianity that's like, I accepted Jesus. My life has just been 100% amazing all the time. It's lies, all right? They will realize that very quickly. They'll be super bitter at you and they'll come back and you guys argue, right? Like it's not gonna go well. But there's this honest depiction of, oh, I found life here. And yes, there's challenge, okay? Now, disciple, Jesus says, go and make disciples. All right, we could unpack this. We could spend a lot of time in this. I realize that word can get thrown out. So let me offer you a couple definitions of things that I think are helpful as we talk then about what it looks like to go to the nations and make disciples. All right, I'm gonna reference a couple things, a helpful book called The Vine Project, all right? Um, and here's one of their ways they talk about a disciple. Even if you just remember one word, remember this, it's a learner, a learner. That's the language that's being used here in the scriptures that it was to find a rabbi that you could learn from and you would learn not just what they said intellectually, but you would follow their very way of life. 
So in this book, they talk about it this way, just to summarize it. A disciple, well, it's a forgiven sinner, so meaning you've accepted the grace of Jesus, who is learning Christ in repentance and faith. Martin Luther, the great reformer, would say all of life is to be one of repentance, right? Like it's just repentance and faith. If you ever wonder like, hey, what are some things we're gonna talk about every single Sunday? Repentance and faith, regardless of the topic, the issue, the text, whatever, we gotta talk about these things because we're learners and we're learning what it looks like to follow Christ, to be imitators of Christ. We're learning Christ, all right, what it means to be a son or daughter of the king in repentance and faith. Oh, I messed up. Oh, I went my own way. Oh, I tried to do my own will. I'm turning again. I'm believing that what Jesus offers is the best possible way. So in this book, Colin Marshall and Tony Payne, The Vine Project, they said this way, the outcome of this learning was not simply the mastery of a certain body of knowledge, what we would today maybe associate with classroom or academic learning. What the learners were learning from Jesus was a way of life based on an understanding of certain truths about reality. The goal was for them not only to know what their teacher knew, but also to be like their teacher, to walk in his ways. They weren't learning a subject. This is so key. They were learning a person. So this call, go and make disciples. It's like all of us together, not because you've arrived, you got this all figured out, we're on this path, we're all learners, all right? Continuing to learn what it looks like to follow Jesus, but not just in an intellectual sense, like we're gonna learn a person, right? Like if you go on a date with somebody or your spouse and you're dating, you go out and you're just like, you can rattle a bunch of facts off about that person. Okay, great. Maybe you should know some of those basic things, but that's not just the you know, sum total of the relationship, I hope, right? Just being able to, well, here, I read your Wikipedia page and here's all the things it said about you, right? It's like, no, 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 like to learn a person, to know them, to be in relationship with them. That's what we're talking about. And then how to make disciples, all right? Now, maybe I just like these guys because they went alliteration. They got four Ps here, right? So it's amazing. But they said this, all right? Again, we could tease this out. We could talk for a long, long while about this. But just as a helpful thing, again, this is on the message notes. I think it's helpful to come back to. They say, disciples are made by the persevering proclamation of what? Not your thoughts, opinions, what we want to post on social media, all right? It's made by the persevering proclamation of the word of God. The word of God is living and active. You don't need to hear my thoughts, opinions about things. Like We need to hear from the word. We need to hear God's word given to us. So at its most basic level, it's a proclamation of the word, of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, getting in the scriptures and seeing how they all point to him. That doesn't mean you gotta be a scholar of the scriptures, right? You're just, you're learning Christ, persevering, because it's gonna be hard. So you gotta persevere in it. This is not a just cool, like we wanna just kind of this quick fix of things. No, no, persevering proclamation of what, the word of God, by who? The people of God, that's the church, it's followers of Jesus. It doesn't say by the pastors, it doesn't say by the deacons or the elders or right church staff, it says by the people of God. So if you're a follower of Jesus, in what? In prayerful dependence on the spirit of God. Because you can learn all there is to learn, you can get multiple degrees behind your name and if there's not a prayerful dependence, it doesn't mean anything. The spirit of God has to work. I've never, ever, ever in my life made somebody a Christian. God might've used me in certain things, but guess who did that? I can't make a dead heart beat for King Jesus and make it alive. God does that. He raises the dead, not me. Takes the pressure off. Complete dependence. So that's the call. Now in this, again, I wanna keep coming back to this. 
we can kind of have this moment of like, okay, that's good to be reminded, but still go and make disciples of all nations. It stirs up in me, even in the excitement of things. And even this morning as I came in, there's some things I'm excited to, to share with everybody here. There's that, oh, I feel inadequate. And again, that's a healthy place to be. I was reading an essay about a week or two ago um, by this man, Francis Schaeffer. I commend him to you if you don't know any of his work. It's, it's worth looking into. Francis Schaeffer, he wrote this, uh, this little essay, I think it, it really was, um, called No Little People, No Little Places. I want to read to you just a short little excerpt from this. But in it, he's a man who's wrestling with, okay, his calling in life, wondering, God, like, I'm frail, I'm broken. Like, I know my heart. I know, I know my disposition towards doubt and all of these things. Like, how are you going to use me? And the Lord brought to mind this picture of Moses. If you know the story of Moses, God calls Moses and he tells Moses, who has been this shepherd, right? He's got this, this stick, he literally has this old stick that he's been carrying around for years and the Lord says, throw it on the ground. And do you remember what happened? He threw it on the ground and it became a snake, which is terrifying. I wish the Lord would choose something else if he's gonna ask me to throw something on the ground, but right? But he does that and then he tells him, pick it up. And Moses is like, okay. And it goes back to this, this wooden stick. And Schaefer started paying attention to like, just throughout the story, go read the book of Exodus and start to see, oh my goodness, that stick went before Pharaoh and it did the miracles there, became a snake and then went back to being a stick. That stick was used to, to strike the Nile and to bring about the plagues that eventually led to the deliverance of God's people. That stick was used as God's people stood before the Red Sea with the greatest army military uh, force the world knew at that time. The Egyptian army was coming after them and they were hemmed in, they had nowhere to go. It was that wooden stick, a silly piece of wood that struck the water and the seas parted. It was that stick that the Lord used for Moses to to strike a rock and water gushed forth when they were dying of dehydration out in the desert, right? And so Schaefer's reflecting on, on this. And like, here's what he says. He said, God so used a stick of wood then can be a banner cry for each of us. Though we are limited and weak in talent, physical energy, and psychological strength, we are not less than a stick of wood. That's true, right? Amen to that. You're not less than a stick of wood. You're the image of God. But as the rod of Moses had to become the rod of God, so that which is me must become the me of God. Then I can become useful in God's hands. The scripture emphasizes that much can come from little if the little is truly consecrated to God. There are no little people and no big people in the true spiritual sense, but only consecrated and unconsecrated people. The problem for each of us is applying this truth to ourselves. And so he asks of himself, is Francis Schaefer the Francis Schaefer of God? Put your name there. I have to ask, is Jamie Hart the Jamie Hart of God? Have you been consecrated, set apart? There are no little people. There are no little places. God wants to use you. And if he can use the stick of wood to bring about his redemptive purposes through a, a broken, stuttering man named Moses, he can use you and he can use me. That's the beauty of the story that we're part of. And so Jesus says, go baptize, teach. And the idea is, go, you're sent. You're a sent people. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says to his disciples, so I am sending you. He is sending us. And the idea of baptizing, yes, it's about conversion, evangelism, seeing people baptized, but it's more than that. To be baptized means to be brought into a family to a church, not something that's like a family, something that is the family of God. This is not a solo endeavor. 
You've got aspirations and goals for growing in 2020 as a follower of Jesus that cannot be divorced from a direct involvement in the life of the family of God. It will not happen apart from God working in the community. And so this baptism, it's this reminder, oh, I'm brought into this family. I belong. These are my brothers and sisters. This is amazing. And he tells them, go and teach them to obey like all things. Now, sometimes there's this, I would say it's a false dichotomy of like, hey, are we after conversion and sort of, you know, breath? Are we after death? I want some deep teaching, right? I want all that. I don't think the Bible knows that, those kind of categories. That's us splitting that apart. The reality is, is we teach and we proclaim the persevering proclamation of the word of God, proclaiming the gospel, because here's the beautiful good news. The non-believer, the unbeliever who hasn't come to saving faith in Jesus, guess what they need? They need to be told the gospel, how they can have a right ordering this true mishpat in their life. And guess what the Christian needs? Guess what I need over and over and over again? What I have to beat into my skull continually is the gospel. I'm a son of the king. I belong, I've got a place at the table, not because I've earned anything, but because God has showered me with his affection, his love, his mercy, and his grace. And so teach, what are we to teach? We get to teach the gospel. I like that because for one, you don't have to go and master two things. I got, oh, what person are you? Oh, I put you in this category, so therefore you need this message. Oh, you're over here. No, no, no. I don't, you're a human being, you need the gospel. Whether you have a right standing with God or not, I don't know that, but I get to give you the gospel. So Tim Chester in his book, Total Church, says it this way, the means by which sinners are evangelized, the gospel word and the gospel community are the means by which sinners are discipled. We continue to evangelize as Christians because it continues to be the gospel message with which we exhort and encourage one another. The good news that gives life is the good news that transforms. While the community that incarnates gospel truth for the sinner is the community that incarnates gospel truth for the same. So we go. All right, so how can we then, if this is what Jesus is said to go and do, let's talk practically for a moment, all right? How can we then as a church go and make disciples of all nations? There are things that the Lord has called us to locally, how we're making disciples in the central Florida community, all right? We're gonna continue to do that. That is not putting that on the shelf, all right? Everything that I've just talked about, this is what we should be doing together here in this place. And yet, I believe the Lord is also calling us into new spaces with an intentionality for the nations. And so I've mentioned to you over the last couple of weeks something that we've done the last couple of years, a Mishpat project, a project to help bring justice in a right ordering. And this year, the Mishpat Project 2020 is about an answer to that question of how are we going to step into spaces of making disciples in the nations? Now, if you get overwhelmed, like all nations, we're going everywhere. Okay, no, no, no. The Lord is calling us to a specific thing. All is for the collective, like the big C church to go out. But I do believe the Lord is calling us, all right? The leadership of this church believes the Lord is calling us to step with more intentionality into space of the nations. I sat at a church planning, this network we're part of, Acts 29. Some of you are familiar with that. I sat at this conference a couple summers ago and they shared that there was a partnership developing with an organization called Compassion International. You might be familiar with them. It's about child sponsorship, all right? And what they were doing in conjunction with Acts 29 to not only sponsor kids, but to actually plant churches. 
And it piqued my interest. And it was one of those things like, oh, I gotta follow up on that. And because I'm not always great at sometimes following up on those things, I remember I shared it with our outreach director, Jessica Green, and she was like, that's amazing. And so she started doing a lot of the legwork as well. And we began putting this plan together and talking through one of the directors from Compassion and the folks at Acts 29 and realizing what it is that, that we could be about. And so I wanna show you this two minute video right now that just kind of highlights some of the work in case you're not familiar with Compassion and then talk about the opportunity that's before us for the Mishpat Project 2020. So watch this video. The church is God's hope for the world. And right now, there are over 400 million children across the world living in extreme poverty. 400 million children in need of hope. This is why Compassion International exists. For over 60 years, Compassion has partnered with the church to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. At its core, Compassion is a child sponsorship organization, but it's a different kind of child sponsorship organization. So what does different look like? First, it looks like the church working together. We partner with churches in the U.S. to sponsor children and with over 6,000 churches in developing nations to deliver resources and programming to those children throughout their entire childhood. And regions where there is no church? Compassion partners with church planting networks and denominations in the U.S. and with indigenous networks abroad to plant new churches in these communities. And through these partnerships, the day each new church opens their doors, up to 200 neighborhood children are ready to be sponsored and on their way to being released from poverty. This kind of sponsorship looks like relationship. Compassion connects one child with one sponsor to help the child achieve his or her God-given potential. The relational investment made through a sponsor's letter to their child is often the thing that helps that child believe that they don't have to live in poverty forever. This kind of sponsorship looks like holistic care. Children sponsored through Compassion receive physical care, educational care, social care, and most importantly, spiritual care, all from their local church. Relationship with Jesus is the ultimate aim of everything we do. And in the last year alone, over 125,000 children made first-time decisions to follow Jesus. That's one every four minutes. And for your church, this kind of sponsorship looks like the Great Commission. By partnering with Compassion, your entire church is equipped to serve as global missionaries. And the result is that powerful transformation takes place on both sides. Children meet Jesus and are discipled in a local church. And here in the US, sponsors in your church become more globally aware, more engaged, and more generous. This is what sponsorship with compassion looks like. This is what hope looks like. So what I wanna share with you is our plans for Mishpat Project 2020. You heard some of the elements in there. Here's the glorious thing. As we have an opportunity to plan a church, develop a child sponsorship program with compassion, and see a community development center raised up. And here's how the, this works, is that we are working with Compassion in Acts 29 to find a church planter, okay? Um, in a particular context, probably we've requested right now Central or South America, all right? We're open other places, but that's just where we've expressed interest and that a church would be planted. Now here, did you hear it in the video? As a church gets planted, all right, what happens simultaneous to that is a building gets built, all right, the church is more than a building, but in there, there's a building that gets built and that is used as this community development center where upwards of 200 kids from the surrounding communities are then sponsored by churches like ours back here in the States. And so what you have is this holistic care of a church 
being planted, the gospel going forward, all right, kids being taken care of, like emotionally, mentally, physically, socially, spiritually, all of that. And then throughout the week, that building that houses the church on a Sunday is used as the community development center where there's ongoing training and teaching and classes and discipleship and on the ground folks from Compassion in addition to the local church that has been planted there to work together to see transformation happen. It's this beautiful picture, and I remember hearing this and thinking, okay, that sounds amazing, but of course it does cost, all right? And to do this, it costs $75,000. And so let me put before you how we're gonna approach this. And this is the the ask, this is the, the call link here, all right? The first phase in all of this is the fundraising aspect of it. Now, God in his grace, some of you are aware of this, over the last couple of years, we've had an outside donor that has done some matching for us. And so in presenting this idea to this donor, there was a willingness for that outside donor, that outside organization to say, hey, for every dollar you raise, we'll match it three to one. And so functionally, here's what this means. As a church, if we raise just under $19,000, it will result in $75,000. And what you just saw there, all right, a church will be planted, a community development center will be raised up, and there'll be opportunity to sponsor kids in that surrounding area. It's fantastic. And so I believe this is a significant amount. At the same time, it is a very doable amount. It's not even that much more than what we did last year. And so the second phase in this, now, just so you know, if you're like, how do I, I gotta write this down, mishpotproject.com, all right, it's all there. We'll be sending out more information. But the second phase of this, and this would be after the funds are raised, okay, um, are committed to, then it would be pairing us with a church planter, a church plant, particular location. So if you're like, I wanna know those details, so do I. We don't have them yet. We need to do the first phase, and then this will come over the next maybe three to six months. Now, after that, this is one of the things I'm so excited about, all right? My family, we've been big believers in compassion, have been engaged in that for years. But I love this idea is that we are gonna have an opportunity then as a church body to say, hey, here's this church that got planted, all right, in this particular developing nation from one community. We will have a Compassion Sunday in a few months where we will have opportunity and there'll be packets presented that have kids that have been registered in the Compassion system that are looking for sponsors. And we as a church can come together and sponsor those kids together. And we would all be sponsoring kids from the same region, part of the same church, part of the same community. That's the vision. And so when I talked even last week about the transformative effect, I I said, I'm not being hyperbolic. I think this has massive implications for us as a church, one of the most transformative things we could do because it's not just getting this thing done and checking it off. It's an ongoing thing. You're gonna have the opportunity to have a relationship with a kid in a developing nation, interacting via letter, getting pictures and updates and that. It's this beautiful thing. But here's perhaps the piece I'm most excited about. My family, we've sponsored a compassion kid for years. The reality is we've never met that kid in person. But with this plan, we actually will have that opportunity because as part of this, within a couple of years of getting this developed, we will be doing short-term mission trips, not just, you know, hey, where do we wanna go this year? But with intentionality to whatever spot the Lord has given us to see this church raised up, to see kids from one community being sponsored. Imagine this, getting on a plane with a group of people from your church family here, going to meet your family that is in another part of the world and getting to see the kid that you've been writing letters to, see the kid that is getting a gift from you on their, their birthday where they're being given an education, where they're being taken care of, they're giving meals, like to see all that and to actually be down there and then worshiping at the church that you got to help plant, 
spending time in the community development center. This is Mishpat Project 2020 that we get to be part of. And so here's, we'll be getting you more info on this, but here's what I would encourage you to do, all right? A month from now, roughly, February 23rd, we're asking to take the time to prayerfully consider, all right? Work through this, ask questions, but there's a commitment card that's at mishpotproject.com to click that and say, hey, we're that fundraising, that first step, it either needs to be in one-time gifts or in a pledge that you would give a certain amount over a period of 12 months. Once we have that confirmed, we can actually move into the second phase of this. And trusting God with this, I know this is a big ask, all right? Some of us like, hey, we just got done with Christmas. Yeah, I, yes. Um, and yet this opportunity is incredible. And remember, whatever you give, it's a three to one match. It has a huge, huge impact that you and I can have. So I am so pumped about this. I, I can't say, I've like been looking forward to not, not only this whole series, but just knowing like, oh, like this has been in the works for a few months now. And to be able to finally share that with you all and say the impact that we could have together as a church. And so mishpotproject.com, go there. We'll be sending out more information, but you can read all of that. You can watch that video again. That We'll be posting some updates and other resources that are there. But over the next month, I would ask you, what does it look like to be consecrated to the Lord? Lord, how would you have me respond or your family? What might that look like? So let's close with this. It's the very last part as we think about this. At the end of the day, right? We can't make this happen on our own strength. We can't make disciples of all nations on our own. But Jesus has promised. Did you hear his words? Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What's so fascinating, what's so beautiful about the scriptures is yes, there's an honesty about our brokenness and our frailty and all that, but there's an intentionality too to encourage us because the Lord knows your story and the Lord knows my story. And despite knowing it even better than we do, guess what? He still loves you and he pursued you and he sent his son for you so that he could get you into right relationship with him to have Mishpat restored. Like that's how much God loves you and cares for you. And now we get to send we get to be agents of that sort of reconciliation and love out to a world that is in desperate need of it. And so Matthew reminds us, it's really fascinating. At the very end, one of the last recorded words of Jesus, I'm with you always. And yet at the very beginning in Matthew chapter one, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's a story of the presence of God. It's a story of Jesus entering into our world. It's a story of the father sending his son on a rescue mission. If you ever doubt that God is with you, that God loves you, that God cares for you, like look at the bookends here. God with us, he showed up as a little baby and then he grew up and lived a sinless life that you should have lived and that I should have lived, all right? And yet we didn't, we failed, we're, 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 we're rebellious, all of those things. And then Jesus dies the death that you deserve and that I deserve. And then he rose again and he ascended and he's coming back and the story all along is God with us. That God has made this possible through the finished work of Jesus. Our means, the motivation for doing this goes to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse nine, where the apostle Paul reflects on, reflects on the generosity of God. And so hear this, and this will send us into a time of prayer. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. God with us. He came and he emptied himself. 
His emptying took him all the way to a cross where he was stripped naked, where he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that you could be brought into the family. And now we have an opportunity to go to another part of the world that hasn't heard the gospel and to love these kids and their families and to do ministry there and remind them God is with you. He's not given up on you. He's not forsaking you. He hasn't forsaken me. For Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. We experience the richness and the fullness of the gospel. So I wanna pray for us. I would encourage you to be just reflecting on these things. What is it that you need to confess before the Lord? Um, Then celebrate the reality that God is with you. I would ask you to be praying. How can you commit? What is the Lord gonna ask you to do in this place? in this this time, in the initial commitment, sponsorship down the road, maybe mission trips down the road. So let me pray for us. I'll just kind of lead us in this time and then I'll give some instruction how we're gonna continue in our service. Father, we confess that we are a frail and broken people. Um, We can't do this in our own strength. And so God, I just pray right now that you would hear the prayers of your your people, that we would um, feel a freedom in the gospel to come and confess, even to confess right now, maybe the things that have us both excited, but also maybe stressed out. Maybe the, the budget feels really particularly tight or we wonder what, um, what kind of impact this is going to have. You know, there's all kinds of things that could be running through our mind right now. And so uh, take a moment uh, and let's confess those things to the Lord. God, we are so incredibly grateful that the tomb is empty, that Jesus, that you rose, that you conquered Satan's sin and death, and that you've commissioned us to follow in your footsteps, that you are the ultimate missionary, and now we get to be on this mission to bring a right ordering. We're part of this redemptive movement of God. That's what the church is. It's more than just a a gathering together of a few folks on a Sunday morning, but we are a sent people. So we want to celebrate that. We thank you for who you are. Thank you that you've rescued us. And so I encourage you to take a moment now and just thank the Lord for what he's done in your life. And God, I pray that by the power of your spirit that you would give us clarity, that you would help us um, to know what you, maybe you're asking us to give up, to sacrifice for the cause of Christ, for this mission. Um, I, I pray that uh, there wouldn't be any sort of comparison, but God, that we would just examine our hearts and that you would stir in us uh, what you would have uh, for each of us, for each of the families represented here. Um, God, that we might be able to be part of this work. God, we sense this is from you and something that you're calling us to. Um, and so, God, we would ask um, that you would make that abundantly clear in the, in the weeks ahead. And God, that you would be preparing for us um, a, a church planter, uh, a church plant, um, an area. Um, God, uh, we trust you in all those details. And so, God, as we continue in our service now, uh, I pray, God, that you would be magnified, that you'd be glorified. And as, as you get your glory that you're due, I pray that we as your people, that we would experience a deep and abiding joy in the gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.